This is the Tech Arts Podcast, where we talk about tech, leadership, and all things that concern church audio, video, and lighting. Welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast. My name is DL. So glad to have you joining us today. Today's podcast revolves around lighting. We interview Matt Mills. He is a good buddy of mine and is one of the top lighting programmers out there. We get into a lot of subjects that will help you with lighting. Plus, Matt talks about a church tech tip that will help your lights auto-follow the talent on the platform. This is a very cool system, and you want to hang on for that. Congrats to Andy at Antioch Community Church in Houston. They won last month's Sound Bullet giveaway. If you want to win free stuff, be sure to like, subscribe, and sign up for our newsletter. You can do all of that at techartspodcast.com. Speaking of techartspodcast.com, we want to welcome on board as a new monthly sponsor, Digico. They joined on with our mission to help churches last month, and we are so happy to be working with them. If you want to find out more about Digico, go to digico.biz. These guys make the best consoles on the market. Once again, that website is digico.biz. All right, I want to stop right here and do just a little bit of a family thing. So I'm a parent. Uh, My son is 16 years old. He just turned 16. And for his birthday, I thought, hey, son, what what do you want for your birthday? And of course, he gave me a list. But one of the things he told me is he said, Hey dad, for my birthday, would you mind, um, talking about my YouTube, uh, channel on your podcast? And at first I was going to say no. And then I thought, you know what, what is the harm of having everyone out there? All of you subscribe to his YouTube channel for his birthday. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Go to youtube.com slash at mythic studios films. It's right there on the screen. Go there, youtube.com at mythic studios films and subscribe to my son's YouTube channel. His name's Justin and we got some really cool content up there. I should say he has some really cool content up there. He filmed uh, myself and him having a lightsaber battle on the side of a mountain, some really beautiful landscape that we do this lightsaber battle in, as well as a lot of uh, animations that he's done. And he's really proud of them. I'm really proud of them. So go to his YouTube channel at Mythic Studios Films. Subscribe to it. Wish him a happy birthday. And check out some of the films. You know what? Uh, if your son or your daughter is wanting to get into animation, you may be able to see something there that inspires them because Justin, my son, has done all of those animations on his own. He's only 16. It's his birthday wish. Go to YouTube dot com uh, slash at mythic studios films and subscribe to his youtube channel before we jump into our interview with matt i want to share a quick chat i had with tone stevens tone has an amazing testimony that i want you to hear plus he has a cool event coming up that helps people mix in ears well i should say that's just one of the things that this event does there are a lot of training opportunities at this event okay Let's not make you wait any longer. Please welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast, Tone Stevens. Hey, Tone. What's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I mean, I'm, we're still dealing with 107 degrees here in Dallas, but I'm doing good. No, it's like 67 here right now in PA. Oh, man. So where are you at? I'm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
That's awesome, man. You say it's 70 degrees? Yeah, it's like 67, 73 right now. Oh, man, you got it sweet. So tell our audience who doesn't know who you are, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Tone Stevens. Um, I started out in the industry um, doing some extracurricular activities in studios in New York. Um, I got the passion for it all. Um, and then after a while, my uncle seen me kind of going off the rails and he encouraged me to go because I was very entrepreneurial is the best way to put it. Um, he encouraged me to go and get my degree to help work, to, not to help work, but to work on Wall Street with him. He worked for Leg Mason back in the days for 40 years. Um, and then Leg Mason got bought by Sally Mae. Um, so I went down the pathway, got my MBA to go work on Wall Street. And then because of the extracurricular activities, things went off the rails and I landed back into music. And so in that whole extracurricular thing, um, I was in the studios and I really had a love for music, but nobody really supported it. My dad used to tell me like, man, only one in a billion people will ever end up in music. And so here I am now ended up in music. So I'm part of a guitar store called Tone Taylors that's at Rock Lidditz in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. And um, we've really through it all developed a passion for community. So we do a lot of events. Um, we just got done doing a crazy battle of the bands. Um, round one of it actually was last Thursday. Um, it was awesome to see people just from our like 50 mile radius come in and play their songs. They had to have all originals and then we picked a crazy cover for them. Um, that's a brief overview. Oh, I worked for a church called Worship Center for six years right before the pandemic. And then I launched out into this real massive passion for community. You know, what's cool, man, is, you know, I meet different people from different you know, styles and walks of life. And it's really cool to see how God brings us along on a journey. None of us start off perfect. None of us start off exactly where we need to be. And it's so cool to hear testimonies where, you know, you said, you know, I got involved in these extracurricular activities, but they, I'm going to guess that those extracurricular activities probably set you straight. They probably helped you in your path in life. Yeah. I mean, if I wouldn't have been down that road, I'd probably be like, a mechanical engineer or something like that. I was in this crazy program. Um, I just remembered it for the first time yesterday. It's called, it was called most mathematical opportunities in engineering science and technologies. And it was driven by um, Penn state, the, the college. Um, and so I was on a track to go be an engineer and then some crazy stuff happened on my 16th birthday and off the rails I went, but then that off the railsness, like I kind of just felt this pulling and tugging. And it's crazy, man. My, like my mama always said, she's like, I always believed you'd be a pastor. I'll never be a pastor, but I'll be pastoral. Yeah, it's it's cool, man, to hear that testimony. But Tony, it's brought you here today, where you now have some cool events that are helping the church market. And on the Tech Arts Podcast, we like to point out these these cool things that are going out there that people may not know about. So tell us a little bit about the events that you have coming up. So a few months ago, a good friend of mine, James Berry, he mixes monitors for Beyonce. Um, he hit me up and we had done an event at Rock Lidditz back in 2020, right before the pandemic that we were going to take out on the backbones of the off days of Beyonce's tour that got canceled because of the pandemic, of course. Um, but he hit me up and he was like, dude, man, I'm just really feeling this pull on my heart to to do something for the church while once the Beyonce tour this year ends on October 2nd. And I was like, cool, I'm going to wrap my head around and see what I can figure out. Um, and I just put out some feelers to people in certain regions that I knew and was like, hey, how would you feel about doing blah, 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 um, mostly an in-ear monitoring event. Um, and then it spent, spend, spent, whatever, however you say that word. Um, it's, <laughs> it's it spun, it, spun it, into something it, bigger for it you. It spun <laughs> into like, hey, how about you, since you're helping me um, host 
the event and actually co-present the an event in these different regions. Um, so we're starting here in Rocklit. It's at on the Rocklitus campus using Studio A and Mickey's Black Box, um, which are two amazing venues for ones for rehearsal and ones an actual theater that was built by Michael Tate. Um, and it's only been open for like a year now. Um, but October 9th and 10th will be here in Rocklitz and it'll be DMB's doing their mixed kitchen. Um, for audio is going to be doing um, an in-ear maintenance, proper in-ear maintenance class. James will do an in-ear training event. Um, and then Daniel Ellis is actually coming in as well to do another non-hands-on version of the mix kitchen that DMB is putting together where he'll mix um, a band that I can't say out loud yet. Um, but he'll be mixing a band in DMB 180 Soundscape, which is going to be really awesome. And we keep adding other little knick-knacky things just to the fun of it all. Um, I'm working on something with Yamaha. I'm just waiting to hear back because my guy Yamaha is out with um, the US Open. So I'm just waiting for him to come back and give me a final confirmation that he'll also present but it's just it's growing into something really cool and then we're going to take that to a bunch of different places um some of them may not have james um others will have some other friends of mine that i work with in the industry but we're just really trying to pour as much information out and i'm god's always sending me people like you who have a heart for sharing their their wealth of knowledge so that's the journey well, you know what's what's really what's really neat about this event and other events is a lot of churches that I visit say, David, we don't we don't know where to turn to get education. We don't know where to turn to help understand and navigate some of these complicated things. You know, when you're a small church and boom, all of a sudden you get in years thrown upon you, or all of a sudden you got to mix with a brand new uh, PA that's a top one, two, three, or four. You know, as far as PAs are out there, DMB or Meyer or whatever it is all of a sudden you have to mix on these things. And you're like, we don't know who to turn to. And it used to be, we'll call the church up the street. But now there's so many events out there like this event that you're doing where people can come in and see how to mix in ears, how to do soundscape on DMB, how to do some of these very complicated things that churches are now installing into their church. So that's really cool. And if they want to find out about it, they go to on Instagram at go for Barry productions or at road crew underscore live. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So that's at G O four Barry B E R R Y productions or at road crew underscore live. Go there. You'll find out more information that's going to be dropping. Make sure you follow those guys and find out more about these really cool and exciting events. Tone. Thanks for coming on today, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Our next guest's resume will blow you away. He has worked with Motley Crue, Korn, Sammy Hagar, Three Doors Down, Disturbed, Linkin Park, Michael Bublé, and more. I can attest to the and more part of that statement as I have worked with him on a couple church theatrical productions that had thousands of people turning out to see an amazing show of lights, video, and sound. Of course, we don't care about the video and sound. We only care about the lighting part of that. Plus, we worked together on a few worship concerts, including one that produced a top five live worship album in the church market. This man knows how to rock the lighting world. Please welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast, my friend, Matt Mills. Hey, Matt. Hey, Dave. That's uh, quite the intro there. Thanks, man. Yeah, well, all of it's true, right? I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of funny looking back, you know, on like uh, whenever memories pop up on Facebook and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that, didn't I? You know, so it's kind of cool. 
Yeah, well, I can definitely attest to the Motley Crue one, and I think Megadeth as well. Uh, you got me into the, you got me into Three Doors Down as well. You've you've got me into a lot of concerts over the years. Pretty much any time I'd roll through Dallas, you know, if, if I had time, I'd hit you guys up and say, "Come on out." Yeah, I think the Three Doors Down was in Orlando, uh, Florida. That's where we first met on um, what was the production? It was Gabriel's Christmas Story, right? Yeah, it was at a. Calvary Church there. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, it was a production going on over there, and you guys had rented a, a lighting package from Chrissy Lights, and I was a tech on staff at Chrissy Lights at the time, and uh, you rented me along with it, and that's uh, kind of how all this began. I never looked at it that way. We rented <laughs> Matt Mills for the production. Yeah, it was a massive uh, church production. Uh, I, I still to this day, I think it's one of the best ones that was ever done. I mean, they had Cirque du Soleil, people flying around and uh, comedy and theater and rock and roll and all of it. And uh, I remember calling up Christy Lights because, you know, we it just it was too big for the lighting rig we had in the building. And we had to bring in a lighting rig to light front light, backlight, all this stuff. And I remember calling Christy trying to explain it to them. And they were like, uh, well, we don't quite understand what you're saying, but we think we have the right guy for it. And so that's when Matt came in. And I think we did a couple years of that together. I think so. I think it was a back-to-back. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun time. And then I brought you out to Dallas uh, to work on uh, Gateway Church. You did several of our live recordings. Uh, like I said in the intro, one of them placed in the top five in terms of uh, – Church, the church market sales. That was fun too. And that's when I started to really see, I think you were on the Grand May, and I started to really see how you operated in a live concert feel. So that was, that was a lot of fun too. Do you remember anything about that one? Uh, you know, one of my main memories of, of that is like, first off, you know, the difference between a, an Orlando mega church, quote unquote, and a Dallas mega church is night and day difference. And just as I thought that I had everything all done, somebody comes up to me and goes, oh, by the way, we have this as well. Uh, what universe would you like us to patch that into? I'm like, what? What are we doing? Okay, yeah, throw it over here. <laughs> They're just like constant like lighting being added. Oh, what, what about this? What about that? Yeah, Orlando, three to 5,000 people is considered massive and huge. Uh, Dallas, uh, I think 27,000 is where we, where we were at at the time that you came in. Well, on the first one, I think we were at 10,000. And then I think the second time you came through, we were at 27,000. It's a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different world. Lots of chiefs uh, in the kitchen, but you, uh, chiefs, lots of cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> but I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really cool how you kind of flowed with things and uh, helped tie it, tie it all together. Ultimate professional that you were. But before we get into some of the lighting stuff, talk family, man. Where do you live? Where are you at? Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. So I, uh, I live in Winter Garden, Florida, which is a little suburb just outside of Orlando, about 20 minutes outside. So it's, uh, it's nice. It's, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm in the hustle and bustle of Orlando, but yet if I need to get to the convention center for a show or whatever, it's a 20 minute drive down the turnpike. Not too bad. Uh, I'm married and have two kids and uh, yeah, we live in a great community and things are amazing. Yeah. So there's a Dallas band. Uh, called Pantera, right? Yep. And uh, in the pre-interview, you were telling me a cool story about that that tied into, I believe it was your son. T t tell, tell us a little bit about that story. I thought it was so cool. Yeah, so I've been working with uh, Pantera. They're a, they're a heavy metal band, I guess you could say, from the late 90s, early 2000s. Pretty sure I got those dates right. 
and they had uh, they had stopped touring for a long time, and now they're back together for a reunion. And uh, they brought back their original LD as well. Actually, the only LD they ever had, uh, Sonny Satterfield, great guy. But he has not kept up on the latest, greatest technology. So I've been going out and helping them program and making sure his show was good and all that, and just you know, kind of helping them out. And uh, he saw, uh, whenever we were working together, he saw a picture on my desktop that pictures change, you know, every couple minutes or whatever. He saw a picture of my son focusing a Lico. He's uh, 14 years old and he's done a couple high school productions. He's in the theater, theater production group at high school. So he's kind of, you know, getting his feet wet and he's, uh, you know, been around shows his whole life, you know, with coming out to visit me on tour and whatnot. And uh, Sonny goes, hey, do you think he'd like to operate a, a song for for the show i'm like I'm, i'll go i'll run it by him but i'm sure he'll want to and uh he picked out a song and uh we practiced and rehearsed it in my previous studio at home and he he nailed it got it down pat then uh but the show was for their performance at welcome to rockville which he did not understand the scale of this show it was sixty thousand people they were the headlining act and it was just massive a little bigger than your uh, living room right yeah and the song was about halfway through the set and i could just kind of see in, in his eyes he's like looking around he's like oh my god there's there's really a lot of people here and uh but then it was, you know everybody was really cool about it you know all the people at front of the house were high-fiving him telling him yeah man you got this you got this and whenever the time came you know he he ran a song called five minutes alone and he killed it and uh yeah i was pretty proud proud dad moment yeah. Proud dad moment. You nailed it there. That's so cool. Yeah, I heard that story and I wanted to make sure you got a chance to tell it because it just, it kind of made me think of, you know, I started volunteering when I was 11 years old. And um, of course, I'd never run lights in front of 60,000 people. I was an audio side of things. Uh, so never on the lighting side of things. That's why I was hiring you, Matt. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was a really cool story. I got a funny story when uh, Matt uh, brought me out to the Megadeth concert. And here I am. I got to see if I can find a picture of that. Hopefully, I can find a picture of that. I know I have one of the Motley Crew, but here I am at Megadeth, walking around, business casual, all dressed up, and uh, I didn't need a key fob or anything. They let me go everywhere. I think they thought I owned the place. It was <laughs> so funny uh, being on that one. And then I went to the Motley Crew. And Matt let me hold the flaming, the flame throwing guitar. Is that what they call it? It like shoots a flame out of the bass yeah, guitar. It's, uh, it was Nikki Six, uh, the the bass player's guitar, and uh, they because we hire Rammstein's pyro company. They're always coming up with insanely dangerous things for us to try, and that was one of them. And uh, you know, at the end of a song, or actually throughout one of the songs, he's just throwing flames all over the place. So yeah, you. Uh, you wore Nikki Six's flamethrowing bass guitar. I will never forget that moment. I, I didn't really know at the time, you know, who Nikki Six was. I mean, I knew of Motley Crue and all that, but you know, I put the put it on, kind of took the picture or whatever, and then I get home and I'm showing pictures to people, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you had that guitar on!" They were just all freaking out about it. So it was kind of a cool moment. Before we jump into some uh, important lighting questions, I want to talk about this month's church tech tip. And it's the Follow Me 3D tracking system. You told me a little bit about this system, but can you tell us how this system works? I think this is something that a lot of churches need to know about. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I've 
somewhat been involved with since about 2017. I, I was introduced to it on a European tour. And uh, what it does is it jumps on the lighting network and you tell it which fixtures you would like to use as essentially follow spots. And the follow me will grab the parameters that it needs and then pass the rest of it through. So normally what I do is I tell follow me to do pan and tilt and also beam size. So it's controlling the zoom as well. And the rest of it I handle from the console, the intensity, the color changes, the fade ins, the fade outs, all that stuff. And what's great is we just have people sitting at a table and for, for every person that you want to follow around, you need a person to actually operate a kind of a joystick controller. And they're looking at a, at a monitor, following them around, taking a target, following them around. And at any point I can say, all right, you 10 fixtures swing on over to target one or you, you hundred fixtures swing on over to target four. And it's really great. And it's, uh, it's taken a lot of the, a lot of the, spot calling out of it because you know unfortunately the at least in the states the the art of the follow spot has uh kind of fallen by the wayside except for some of the major markets but you know i've i've had shows where i've been lucky that the person even knows stage left from stage right so this system being able to take that out of their hands as long as i can just say hey see that guy there with the dreadlocks stay on him at all time and it's a it's a great system and uh you know, I've, I've been, I've had great success with it, and so much that that uh, we own six of them. Yeah, I think the follow spot piece has always been a struggle, whether it be a concert, whether it be a theatrical production, uh, and honestly, in the church market, they've they've just eliminated. It. They don't have follow spots on on a Sunday morning uh, because they just weren't reliable, or it was a circle and just kind of looked weird. And so what intrigued me about this is how it could revolutionize the church market and allow them to run uh, things around the lead uh, talent, the pastor or the singer, uh, darker, because they can then add this system in, follow them, but still control it from the console, correct? Correct, yeah. And, and at any point in time, another great thing about it is you don't have to dedicate fixtures to just be a follow spot. Uh Whenever you don't want them to be used by Follow Me, they they just act as a normal moving light under control from the lighting console. And you can use any lighting console with it, right? Correct. Well, I, I should say any lighting console that can do ArtNet or streaming ACN. Okay, so ArtNet, streaming ACN. So that's most of the you know yeah. the major lighting consoles. Now, how do you map it for the stage? How does that work? So you start off by hanging a very small camera up high, typically on a downstage truss, looking down at the stage. And it's got it's got four 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 or five calibration points where you you put this dot downstage center, downstage right, downstage left, upstage left, upstage right, and then you tell it you enter into the into the follow me system how far away from downstage center is downstage right, and same thing for downstage left, and how far upstage and left and right, and then uh, it knows the 3D area that it it is playing in, then at that point, you then uh, put your fixtures in there that you plan on using at some point, and you also give them, you know, around about, you know, 3D areas to where they're hanging in the rig. But the nice thing about it is you don't have to be dead on with that anymore. This is a, an improvement they've done in the 3D system. It, uh, you run this fixture calibration or fixture refinement wizard, and each fixture irises down and you literally move it over to each point on the stage, all four points. And 
whenever you say, okay, you've reached this point, you've reached that point, you've reached that point, then it knows, oh, okay, so if I had to pan a tilt this far to hit this point, this far to hit that point, I must be hanging right here. So it, it makes it makes it a lot easier than it used to be. Yeah, that's very cool. So, you know, if a church wants to figure this product out, buy it, uh, maybe even, I don't know if you do this, but bring you in to train them, like, what's the best way to get a hold of the Follow Me 3D tracking system? Can they contact you or do they need to do something else? No, they can contact me. And in fact, uh, I recently went out to a, uh, a country artist, uh, Eric Church. They have their own Follow Me system that they own. And uh, they just needed me to come out and get their people trained up because the people that they had had in the past that were setting it up and dealing with it on a daily basis, uh, they were on other tours. So uh, I went out and trained three or four of their their techs. And uh, so far, I haven't gotten a phone call, so I guess I did pretty good. Yeah, so if you want to check out the Follow Me 3D tracking system, uh, you can get a hold of Matt at mattm at touchlx.com. Is that correct? That is correct. That is the uh, design firm I'm a part of, Touchlight and Media. Yeah, so you can get a hold of him there, and uh, he'll be happy to tell you more about it, as well as uh, come out and train you if you if it's something that you guys are interested in. So, Matt, everyone wants a lighting system that rocks, and I've got a bunch of questions I want to ask you about that. Questions like, should we use time code? favorite and best lighting console for churches. I want to get your opinion on MIDI and how you've used it. Plus talk what we should look for in a lighting op. We're going to talk about all of that with Matt right after this message from our sponsors. Hang on, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Tech Arts Podcast. Be sure to tell all your friends about us. Give them the website techartspodcast.com to find out more. More great content is coming up right after this. Our main sponsor is Digital Great Commission Ministries. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just better understanding the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Because they are a 501c3 donor-sponsored organization, they come to your church for free and do an assessment of your tech, visitor engagement, and online streaming. Plus, we give away free gear. Be sure to go to audiovideolighting.com and register your email today. This will sign you up for all of the free giveaways and give you first access to everything we offer for free. If you want free resources, training, or consulting, contact Digital Great Commission Ministries today by going to audiovideolighting.com. That's audiovideolighting.com. Com. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Matt Mills in how to get a lighting system that rocks. So, Matt, let me start off with this question. What is the most important piece of the lighting rig? Well, you know, if, if you're starting off, you know, with a tight budget, I would say definitely go for some wash lights uh, simply because, you know, you're going to cover the stage better. And you need to see, you know, the person that you, you want to see up there. So wash is a good way to go. And I would certainly recommend LED, an LED source if you can, uh, simply because of the maintenance aspect of it. You, you don't have to worry about buying an expensive lamp every six months or so. So you want to start off with the wash light. 
Um, is there uh, what kind of what order would you would you lay it out? Hey, I'm, I've got a low budget, so I got to buy this first, and six months later I got to buy this, and then six months later I got to buy this. I know a lot of churches that run straight to the candy, you know, all the stuff in the background. And then they have trouble. I get a phone call. It's like, we can't see our pastor. <laughs> so that's why you heard Matt just say, hey, the wash, because you want to be able to see face first. And obviously, you want to be able to do backlights. But but Matt, kind of what order should people buy things in? Because there's a lot of pressure, especially on the music side, to do something that looks cool. And when you say, hey, buy wash lights, like, mm, that doesn't look cool. So Kind of lay out a path that gets somebody to the cool lighting rig that they want. Yeah, you know, I would I would start with the wash lights, you know, to make sure that you're you're lighting up the people that need to be lit up, and then you know start adding in some effects. You know, you could you could go with some profile lights to to put up stage uh, to get throw some patterns on you know on the ground there, maybe some some sweeps out in the crowd. You know, if there's like a, a musical act happening. Uh, then just keep building from there, or or even another another option instead of buying, get, have a have a good relationship with a local vendor, and you know maybe rent last year's hot item instead of this year's hot item. You know it's still going to be great, but you know you know the touring LDs are going to be like, oh look at this new flavor of the week. Let me get that. Meanwhile, you know last year's flavor of the, of the year is going to be sitting on the shelf at the lighting shop, you know waiting for somebody to to rent it. So that's that's another option as well. Uh, another easy way to to make things look pretty cool on stage is you know get get some vertical truss in there you know, on, on stands, and you can set a light on top of it, and you could throw a simple LED light inside the base of it and, and tone the tr- the truss, and you can move that around you know every week and have a different configuration every week. I liked what you said about renting. I, you know, I make this suggestion a lot, and and that is. Hey David, we only have ten thousand dollars, or we only have fifteen thousand dollars, or we only have a thousand dollars. What do we do? Go and get a small budget to rent some lights to see what you want to buy. Um, so you can actually, you know, you may spend three or four hundred dollars doing a rental, or maybe six or seven hundred dollars doing a rental. But then you know exactly what you want to buy, if it's going to work, if it's the right brightness, et cetera. So that's, that's a pretty cool suggestion to go out and rent. Not only can you see what this year's favorite is versus last year's favorite, but you can also beta test your budget before you go and spend all of that money. So Matt, a lot of people uh, come to me and they say, what lighting consoles should I get? So I, I kind of have two questions here. The first one is, what is your favorite lighting console and why? Well, I've been behind the Grand MA since, I want to say 2000, when Grand MA 1 came out. Uh, I used to be a, a hog programmer, then they came out with a hog 3, and it just wasn't quite there yet. And then uh, Grand MA came through with a, uh, a great you know, training you know, regimen or whatever. They would roll through all the major markets and have everybody come out and they would train them for free and and we ended up uh putting the very first grand ma1 on disney property so i sat there on slow nights and i learned that thing backwards and forwards and uh just because i kind of saw that it was going to be the way that programming is going to go and uh unfortunately i was right and, you know i've i've went from the grand ma2 or grand ma1 over to the grand ma2 and now i'm uh i'm kind of spinning 
split time between the Grand MA2 and the Grand MA3 now. I'm trying to migrate fully over, but I still have quite a number of clients that are still on the Grand MA2, so I'm bouncing back and forth a little bit this year, and uh, hopefully next year I'll be fully on the Grand MA3. But, uh, you know, it's a little bit expensive of an investment for, for a, a church, you know, with a low budget, too, so that's I might come back to the to the rental side of it. Uh, you could rent that, or uh, you could buy you could build up a an on PC system, which is essentially a a, co a programming surface that will link to a computer running the same software, and it's a bit more budget friendly to to build. Yeah, so yeah, Grand MA. Um, I think that if you spend some time on it, it's not that difficult to learn and operate. But I've heard a lot of people say. Hey, the Grand MA is not a good console for volunteers. Do you agree with that, or do you think that a volunteer can operate the Grand MA and kind of learn it and understand it pretty easily? If somebody set it up for them to where they had a page and they could uh, not get themselves in trouble, sure. But the the Grand MA is definitely a professional lighting desk, and whenever you fire it up for the first time with a blank show in it, there's nothing on those screens. So you have to build everything you know, how you like it. And that can be intimidating for somebody somebody new that, that really don't know what they want yet. So then talk a little bit about lighting consoles for volunteers. Is there a lighting console out there that you would point to and say, you know, hey, this is probably the right thing? I know Chauvet, I know there's a um, there's several different types of uh, consoles out there, is there one that you would point to to say, hey, this this may be the right one for, for volunteers? No, I, I, I haven't used it that much. In fact, I've only kind of poked at it at LDI, but I believe it's called the uh, Onyx Obsidian. And it seems to be very user-friendly, somebody getting into it. So that that would be worth looking at. But but again, it's, it's also going to need to be set up, you know, at least patched and, you know, some looks made for for a volunteer to, to just bring up some faders and, you know, bump some buttons. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, every lighting console that you're going to get, whatever it is, when you start with the blank slate, there's a lot of patching that has to happen. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen. It's the same thing with an audio console. And so I wouldn't expect a volunteer to come in, you hand them a blank, you know, lighting console, and they're just up and running. So I think Matt makes a great point here. You want to massage your lighting console so it fits your DNA and it fits your volunteer's capacity. Um, most of the churches that I have worked with and for, the Grand MA was great. You know, we had high-level guys coming in that would spend time on it. We had either part-time or full-time guys that could train the volunteers on how to do it and how to operate it. Um, but if your DNA doesn't fit that, you may need to look at a different console setup uh, that's a little bit easier. And Matt, you hinted at this earlier. You know, there's the physical console, and then you have the computer-based consoles. Um, is the computer-based something that you would recommend uh, that would work for churches? Is that uh, is that a route that they should maybe look at? Well, it's certainly more budget-friendly, and it's still just just as powerful. You can still do all the the effects, you know, because it, it, it's essentially running the same software. You know, I'm speaking of the Grand MA here, but it's but other consoles do that as well, like uh, Camsys Magic Q, you know, they have a, a PC version. Uh, I would imagine that Hog does as well. Uh, but yeah, they, they still do all the bells and whistles. Uh, they might not let you control a thousand lights, but, you know, it, it, it'll, you know, at that point, you know, you, you need a bigger console also. 
Yeah, and so churches, when they look at um, you know the PC-based versions, uh, I think that's an option for budget. I think it's an option for setup because you can you can set it up so it's just you know, hey, song one, song two, song three, so on and so forth. But I hear a lot of churches that do that that are trying to get into automation. Uh, they want to automate their lights using either time code or MIDI. Um, if if you're wanting to go that route on the automation side, which do you recommend? Do you recommend that they do it with time code, uh, you know, off of an Ableton track, or do you recommend they do it with MIDI? Kind of talk that a little bit for us. So I've only ever run or had had show files run off of time code. Uh, the things I've done MIDI have just been triggers for uh, for different artists to to hit different effects on the lighting console. So. I'm quite partial to time code. I, I understand it. I've been using it since uh, probably 2006, I guess. And, uh, you know, once you get your head around it, it's, it's not as scary as a lot of people think it is. Uh, one of the main tricks to it is getting in and out of it cleanly. And what I mean by that is, you know, if if you have a look up on stage and then somebody's about to roll that time code and it's going to snap into exactly where it's supposed to be, it could look kind of like a mistake to tell you the truth on stage like the, the lights would just snap snap into the next next cue for time code so you kind of need to build a little in-between look there that will get you into where you want to be then then you'll be off and running but you know that's not that hard at all yeah i think i think a lot of a mistake that is made by churches when it comes to time code is they think uh that it'll make things uh easier and it does on sunday morning but it makes things harder earlier in the week. There's a lot more programming that needs to happen, which by the way, if you got to choose between timecode and MIDI, go timecode every time. It is rock solid. It hears it and it fires it and it knows exactly where it's at. MIDI can be, as far as MIDI uh, control of your lighting consoles and the different MIDI commands that are firing, it can be a little bit hit and miss. Um, and then what Matt said about your pre-cue, um, don't think of a song as song one only, song two only. Think of it as a full set of songs. So when your time code triggers for song two, you don't want it to snap the black. You know what I mean? You, so you got to think about how song one ends and how song two begins with the different time code and whether or not you have to cover it with a manual cue that maybe somebody is running there in person. So, but the biggest takeaway is while time code and even if you're running MIDI may make life easier and more effective for you on the weekend, you definitely have, have to allow more time earlier in the week. Now, Matt, you said something about MIDI and how you've used it uh, to trigger uh, lighting. That intrigued me. Do you have any cool stories of how you've used uh, MIDI to trigger lighting? Sure. So I, I have this... Uh cool box that uh, essentially takes uh, a MIDI signal in, dumps it down to Ethernet, sends it out to front of house for me, uh, you know, go 330 feet, and I will, and the same box is also at front of house, and it'll take it from Ethernet, dump it back down to MIDI, and I go into the console with that. And uh, let's see, like on Lincoln Park, uh, the DJ, DJ Han, he had this I don't know, for the lack of a better term, a bunch of iPads on this big touch screen thing. And that's how all the different different tones and stuff would come out. And uh, each one of those, he could assign a MIDI note. It was like a trigger pad that he was hitting? No, they were like, they're touch screens. So he would touch have... Screen, I, really? Touch yeah. screen iPads? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't an iPad, but it was something similar. And I, I believe that uh, 
it was something experimental that that they had, which they did a lot of experimental stuff. But uh, you know, he would just have like boxes on these screens for the different notes for each song, and as he would hit it, you know, he could also fire a MIDI note to me, and for each song, I would have a bank of buttons assigned to all those MIDI notes. So whenever he would hit, you know, say the red square or whatever, you know, his lights would blink red and he would essentially play his lighting effects during the show. I'm thinking through, hey, I'm, I'm at a church or I'm at a concert, essentially my drummer or my keyboard player, or whatever, they either have a pad or a touch screen. They're basically running the lighting console, but it would be, it sounds like it was like hitting the timing perfect for when they were activating. Yeah, and uh, I recently used it on uh, on the band Corn. Their their drummer Ray, he he's one of the most amazing drummers I've ever seen, and he's never played the same show twice. So I was just <laughs> he, he does all these what we call eight oh eight hits, which are basically like these deep bass hits, like boom. And uh, he was wait wait wait. You said he's never played the same show twice. Oh no. So if you're if you're out there as a technician, this is basically modern day Christian worship. They never play the same service twice. <laughs> service one is different from service two. <laughs> so anyway, corn the drummer. What were you saying? So so I, uh, you know, I would keep. I kept trying to follow this guy around and and hit, you know, these big strobe hits whenever he's hitting that big bass hit, and he's always doing it at a different time. So I got tired of that. So I put that same box on his drum rack there, and then he started playing his own burst and all that. So he. He had one that he would hit, and the strobes would light up underneath him and just blast him, and he loved that. And then the the other one he would hit would turn on all the strobes facing the crowd, so he loved that as well. So, so all of a sudden, you know, as soon as I told him what I was doing, and he played with it a little bit, then the next show was like double the amount of strobe hits because he he just kept playing with it. He's like, oh, boom, boom, you know, it's pretty funny. Yeah, the keyboard player and the lead singer are like, take that away from him. <laughs> <laughs> like he keeps strobing us with his drums. <laughs> then, then the other cool thing I did with, with MIDI, which I actually got a, a write-up on this. This is a few years ago on, on the American Idol guy, Daughtry. Uh, he actually does play the same show every night. Uh, and I got tired of calling follow spots and I got bored. So I pre-recorded all my follow spot cues into QLab. And then I assigned those a MIDI notes. And from the lighting console, I, I would tell, I would tell the Grand MA in my Q stack, fire MIDI note three, at a certain time, and it would it would then have my recording go out of my Mac playing Q Lab into the the base station of Clearcom up to the spot ops, and it would just be a recording of me saying, "Stand by all spots to go to frame three. And then my next cue, I'd trigger the, the next note, and it would say, "And all spots go frame three. And I. It got to the point to where I never even had to talk to the follow spots unless something went wrong. That is so awesome. I could see that being used. You know, a church may not use a follow spot, but I could see that being used for a church that needs to call cues to multiple volunteers, but say they only have, you know, a front of house, uh, you know, engineer and a and a lighting uh, guy that's on staff or that those are their lead volunteers, they could program their cues on the lighting console or even on the front of house console, you could probably trigger it to fire. But at least your lighting console is you're firing the cues and it's telling the cue to the pro presenter operator or to the video director or giving them cues of what's coming next. That's a, that's a pretty cool setup. And you said that you got a write-up on that? 
Yeah, uh, I, I want to say in uh, PLSN, Vicky, Vicky Claiborne gave me a write up on that. So being lazy does pay off. It does. And and whenever we went to Europe and we were going through Germany, I had our German liaison re-record the spot cues for me in German. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if that's lazy. That's smart right there. <laughs> that is, that's pretty smart. That's pretty cool, man. Hey, so I'm a church. I want to make it look big. Wow, that's a question I want to hear the answer to. I'm sure you want to hear the answer to that question as well. But unfortunately, we have to conclude today's podcast right there. With that said, Matt will answer that question on part two of this podcast. Matt will also get into haze and how we should use it, plus what type of hazer you should use, what is an important trait to look for in a lighting volunteer, and more. You don't want to miss part two of this podcast. Well, that wraps things up for today's episode. I can't wait to talk to you on the next Tech Arts podcast. Until then, I'm David Leuschner signing off by wishing you a great day and praying God blesses every moment of your week. See you soon. You have been listening to the Tech Arts Podcast presented by Digital Great Commission Ministries. DGCM is a 501c3 nonprofit that was started to help churches with all things technical. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just a better understanding of the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Find out more about our free on-site visits, reports, and consulting by going to audiovideolighting.com. Digital Great Commission Ministries will help you run your church service like a pro. Find out more at audiovideolighting.com.